Let me begin tonight by expressing my appreciation to you for being here. I know Gail put it in the bulletin, so you knew who was going to be up talking tonight, so <laughs> I'm glad you came anyway. We do have visitors with us, and I hope you weren't expecting Brother Randy to be here. If so, maybe you won't be too disappointed. We'll try to do our best for you. We are happy that you come to be with us. I had mentioned to Brother Roger that I was trying to get a lesson together for, and uh, a few weeks after that, he came up to me and says, you know, Brother Randy's going to be gone on this date, and uh, how about you bring that lesson for us at Pippin? I said, okay, well, why not, you know? And then I kind of had some second thoughts about it. I mean, after all, I'm going to be talking about Genesis. And Brother Randy spent several months there talking about Genesis. So what can I say that he didn't cover in our Bible study on Sunday morning? Well, absolutely nothing. But that's not my intention for tonight. Now, I will be reviewing some of the events in Joseph's life. So for those of us that were here for the Sunday morning Bible study, it'd be a little review. And as I was going through it, I realized, you know, it's not a bad time to do a review. Because I thought of some stuff I kind of forgot about myself. So maybe it'll be good for the rest of us. If you weren't here for the Sunday morning Bible study, maybe it's new to you, and so it'll be exciting. As we were progressing through our study, it started to occur to me that, you know, there's things that are going on in Joseph's life that parallel things that we could face in life today. And the more we got into the study of it, I thought, oh, you know, that would make a pretty good lesson maybe to look at some of the events in his life and how we face some of the same trials. You know, Joseph lived over 4,000 years ago. And so you might think, duh, 4,000 years ago, what could we have in common with someone who lived that long ago? But I hope to show that we really, life is not that different. Before we get into the actual... Uh, events of Joseph's life, though, we need to go back a few chapters, back to Genesis 28. And this is where we find that Isaac sent Jacob to Padamaram, to the house of Laban, to marry a daughter from the house of Laban. Isaac did not want Jacob to take a wife from the Canaan women. And when he got there, he saw Rachel, and you might say, you know, it was almost love at first sight. He really fell in love with Rachel. And he made an agreement with her father Laban that he would work for Laban for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. But Laban dealt pretty deceitful with Joseph. At the time of the marriage, instead of Rachel, they substituted Rachel's older sister, Leah. And so he had married her before he realized it. And he still wanted, though, to marry Rachel, so he agreed to work another, another seven years for Rachel's hand. As we progress on through the story, we see that Leah had been fruitful. She had bore sons for Jacob, but Rachel had not been able to do so. And fearing that, you know, she might lose her favorable status with him, she came up with the idea to give her maid, Billa, to Jacob, that she might conceive and bear a child in her behalf, and she did. Now, Leah had not been able to have any children for a while, and not to be outdone by her younger sister, Rachel, she decides to give her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob, and she also bore a son. Well, eventually, Rachel was able to have two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. 
And so what might we stop now and think about for our first lesson? Probably a lot that we could talk about, but I want to talk about patience. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, it says, To add to our faith virtue, and to virtue add knowledge, to knowledge add temperance, and to temperance add patience. If we go back a few chapters further in Genesis to chapter 16, we see another person who lacked some patience. I'm talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a mighty nation. Through his seed, all nations would be blessed. But Sarah was of an age, she didn't feel like she would ever be able to bear children. So she thought she'd give God a little hand in things, you know. So she gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham, and she conceived a son. What Sarah needed to realize, though, was, God, first of all, God keeps his promises. But secondly, God don't wear a watch, and he don't have a calendar. We're, we concentrate on time a lot at the end, but time means nothing to God. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. So we need to learn to be patient and don't expect him to give us everything right off. It's not always easy, though, to be patient, is it? You know, a lot of people today have that, the opinion of, I want it, I want it all, and I want it now. And that can get us in trouble if we're not careful. So we need to be patient. Now, Rhonda tells me, in a lot of things I do, I'm patient. Painting, little repair jobs, whatever, that type of thing, I, I'm pretty patient. But in traffic, mm -mm. <laughs> I do not have patience in traffic. I was, you know. But we do need to remember, is it important that we have patience? Well, first, let me ask you this. If I were to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, but if I ask for a show of hands, I would guess that the vast majority of us would raise their hands saying, I need to work on patience, right? Those that don't are either asleep or just not being honest with themselves, but because that's one thing I think all of us probably could use a little more is working on our patience, especially with other people. Going through our story, we find that Joseph, Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. In Genesis 37 and 3, we see that now... Jacob, or Israel as he was called at this time, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And to show his love for Joseph, Jacob made him a coat of many colors. And this coat of many colors was not rags sewed together like the song that Dolly Parton has by that name, the coat of many colors. This was a coat that was a sign of prestige and prominence. And you can kind of imagine Joseph, you know, when he gets this coat, can't you? I mean, he's got to show it off to everybody. And he goes out to the people in there uh, and his uh, brethren and to his brothers and shows off this new coat and stuff. And the brothers had nothing like it. Now, you know, Joseph may not have meant to be boastful or bragging about it. He was just proud of his coat, right? But his pride kind of gets him in trouble. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 16, verse 8 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I believe Harold had that one in his lesson this morning. You know, Joseph's pride, as I said, got him in trouble, but his pride actually was more of a stumbling stone to his brothers, when you really get down to it. So we need to be careful, too. We might not do things with the intent of angering or, or something people, but we need to be careful how we approach things as well, because we could cause them to stumble, although we're not even trying to be boastful. 
Jacob made no effort to hide his feelings toward Jacob. In Genesis 37 and verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Jacob's attention for Jacob, for Joseph, was enough to cause the brothers to hate him. You know, Joseph made matters even worse, though, when he had two dreams. Because after he had the dreams, he had to go tell his brothers about the dreams. And the dreams implied that there would be a day when Joseph would have prominence over them, prominence over a vast area. And even Jacob himself rebuked Joseph because of the dreams. But the brothers continued to envy him. That's verse 11. I got to thinking, you know, what's the difference between envy and jealousy? And the dictionary defines envy as a feeling of resentment or discontent over another's possessions or attainment resulting in hatred or ill will. Jealousy is a fearful or suspicion of being displaced by a rival in affection or favor. So don't you know the brothers were jealous of how Jacob felt about Joseph? And they envied him because of his coat of many colors. Envy is listed among the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. I don't know that it has any real significance, but did you notice that envying was listed right next to murderers? And that's what Joseph's brothers almost turned into because of their envy for him. Some of, we all experience envy to some degree at time, from time to time, don't we? I mean, maybe somebody gets a promotion that we thought we deserved. Or they have more possessions than we do, although we think we work as hard and diligently as they do and stuff. But we need to learn to be patient. And remember, God will reward us with what we need and can handle. I'm convinced he knows what we are able to handle. And as a result of that, you know, we probably don't need to ask God for specific stuff sometimes. We need to ask him, bless me with what I can deal with. He may give us more than we would ask for. But just ask for him to bless us with what we can handle well. You know, too much of anything might go to our head. And, you know, too many uh, people, maybe their job or house or whatever, they let those things become a, stand, a stumbling stone to them. So let him bless us with those things that we can rightly handle. But the brothers' hatred for Joseph continues to grow. And they had gone to a place called Sechem to feed the flock. And Jacob sent Joseph to check on the brothers and the flock, see how things are going. When he got to Shechem, he found that the brothers had left there and gone on to a place called Dothan. So Joseph proceeded on to Dothan, and as he was on his way, the brothers saw him coming from a distance, and they began to conspire to murder him. But Reuben, the oldest brother, convinced them, well, let's not shed his blood, let's not have his blood upon our hands. And so they threw Joseph in a deep pit. And while he was there, a group of Ishmaelite merchants comes through, and they decide they will sell Joseph to the Ishmaelite merchants. 
And they then took Joseph into Egypt and sold him to an Egyptian named Potiphar, a captain of the Pharaoh's guard. In Genesis 32, or 39, verse 2, we see, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. But he's a slave. But God's still with him. Now Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph. And as a result, he made him the overseer of his house. And because God blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, that's uh, chapter 39, verse 5. And although he is a slave at this point, you know, things aren't going too bad for Joseph because still God's looking out for him, isn't he? But he's still going to face some different, difficult times. Now Potiphar's wife kind of took a liking to Joseph in a physical way, we might say. And when Joseph refused her, he knew he couldn't betray his master, and even more, he couldn't betray his God. So he refused the advancements of Potiphar's wife. And she was furious. I mean, imagine this Hebrew slave refusing her, turning her down like he did. And so she told a falsehood, an untruth. Okay, she lied. She told a lie about Joseph, and as a result, he was thrown in prison. Now, we might say, you know, I'd never tell a lie like that on somebody to cause them that kind of trouble, but have you ever thought about gossiping? And if we spread rumors or gossip, and it turns out to be an untruth, not well, then what have we done? We've actually lied about something. And lies or untruths can be as damaging sometimes as, as a or gossip can be just as damaging as a deliberate lie. In verse 39... Or chapter 39 and verse 21. Again we read, But the Lord was with Joseph. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but that's twice in one chapter that we read the Lord or God was with Joseph. And I know the Bible don't repeat things too often, especially twice in one chapter, so there has to be some real significance there, don't there? Because back in verse 2 we see that the Lord was with Joseph and he was prosperous and now he's in prison and, he's, and, and it says in Joseph, and God showed him mercy. You know, there's a lot of people facing hardships and difficult times right now. And I guess in this life we're meant to have a certain degree of problems and frustration and all because Job 14.1 says that man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of troubles. And even though he was in prison, you know, Joseph didn't give up on God. He didn't turn his back on him. And as a result, God didn't give up on Joseph and he blessed him for his faithfulness. Maybe to help us see this, what I'm trying to say a little bit clearer, there's a little poem here that some of you have probably seen before. You may even have a copy of it at your house. It's called The Footprints of God. In deepest sleep one night I dreamed that on the beach I walked. God was by my side each step, and quietly we talked. Then on the sky my life was flashed, the visions all serene. Two set of footprints in the sand were there in every scene. But then I noticed in some scenes of suffering, pain, and strife, just a single set of footprints at the worst times of my life. God, you said you'd stay by me in good times and in bad. Why then did you leave me each time my life was sad? My precious child, God answered, when your life had pain, I knew. The single set of footprints were the times I carried you. So we need to put our faith in God and trust that he will carry us through the difficult times. 
As we go on with our story, we see that Pharaoh had two dreams. And there was no one in the in his house that could interpret them. didn't seem like there was anyone in Egypt that knew how to interpret what the dreams meant. But the chief of the butlers remembered that in a short time he was in the prison that Joseph had interpreted a dream for him and how correct it turned out to be. So he told Pharaoh about him. And they brought Joseph before Pharaoh. And so Joseph asked him about the dreams and he told him what they were. And, he said, and Joseph said that the two dreams were but one or of one purpose. And he's again stressed that the importance of him having the two dreams that God wanted him to know just how critical it was. In essence, the dreams turned out to be that there would be seven years of plenty that would be followed then by seven years of famine. And Joseph also explained to Pharaoh what he needed to do to prepare for it, how he needed to pick out someone that could be trusted, how they needed to collect a percentage of the crops and stuff during the plentiful years and have those stored so they would have the necessary means to carry them through in the years of famine. And Pharaoh was so impressed by, jo by Joseph that he decided, well, there's no one wiser, more honest than this man, so I'm going to put him in charge of this project. And so Joseph became second in command only to Pharaoh. Now seven years of plenty had passed, and we find that Jacob sent the two ten older brothers to Egypt to see if they could buy some grain because now they're in the starting into the years of the famine. When they got there, they didn't recognize their brother Joseph. Of course, he recognized them, and he didn't let on. He didn't let them know who he was. Not sure why. Maybe he wasn't sure how they would react. Maybe he wanted to see if they were the same brothers that some years back had considered murdering him or and sold him into slavery. But he did see a more compassionate brothers, more compassionate toward their father Jacob and to their younger brother Benjamin because they were even willing to be slaves in his place. So eventually Joseph did reveal himself to them. You know, it's not so important as what happened at this point as what didn't happen. Joseph could have taken revenge on his brothers, couldn't he? I mean, he had the power. He had the opportunity. They're standing here right before, uh, before him, and you know. And a lot of people would say he was justified to have taken revenge. But Joseph saw the prophecy of God in what they had done. In Genesis 45 and verse 5, it says, Now, now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sow me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. At this point, we see a much more mature Joseph than our first vision of him with the coat of many colors. He's more calm, more humble, and definitely more wise. And the dream that Joseph had back in Genesis 37 came true because in chapters 42, verse 6, 43, 26, and 44, 14, the brothers bowed before him as he had predicted in his dream. You know, the brothers had lived all these years with guilt of what they had done to their to Joseph. In Genesis 42 and verse 21 says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Guilt can be a difficult thing to deal with. 
even when others forgive us, even when God forgives us, sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. So the easiest thing is try to avoid being in a guilty situation. Joseph forgave his brothers, and God will forgive us if we will just repent and honestly come to him and ask for his forgiveness. Last Sunday, Brother Randy brought a lesson on the moral decay of America. It was a timely and very poignant and, and true lesson. Our country is going down. Proverbs 14 and verse 34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a repro reproach to any people. I'm reminded of the tragedy that occurred at the Combine University some years ago. And it was said that someone made the comment, Where was your God when this happened? Someone answered him, Well, he wasn't in school, was he? Our Supreme Court kicked him out some years ago. We can't have prayer. We can't have Bible reading. They can't even teach creation anymore in school. And is it any wonder that our nation is declining like it is? We wonder why young people are getting involved in so many crimes and stuff. I don't know, it sounds like a little uh, doom and gloom here. <laughs> and if we can't change things around, what can we do? Well, for individually, we can only hope that we're right with God. And no matter how bad things get, He'll be with us and help us through if we'll just trust Him. There may be someone here tonight that's dealing with some hard times, difficult situations. If you're a child of God, you need to lay those burdens on God and let him help you through. If you're not a child of God, then tonight would be the time to, to become one, and then you can trust in him to help you during whatever difficulties that you face. If you're subject to the call, gospel call in any way, why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing?